Hey, my name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here at Clear Creek. And if you are a guest, welcome to our family today. We want you to know uh, we love you already. We're just glad that you're here. If you're kicking the, the tires of faith, if you're curious about this man named Jesus, who we believe is much more than a man, we'd love to talk to you about him. And you can find out more information by visiting either clearcreekcoc.org or going out to the next step table in the lobby at the conclusion of our time together. And we'd love to help you take your next step with Jesus. Now, we're in a really, I think, a fun series on the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you before we get into this that I'm grateful for a lot of things. One of those is just the fact that this week, this week, and you say, why does this matter? Well, it may not matter to you, but it matters to me. This week, my wife and I get to be newlyweds again because, you see, yesterday we took our two children, 10 and 7-year-old children, to stay with my parents for the week. Uh, yeah. Because of that, I've, I've got about three, four hours worth of material. I cannot wait because I just got more energy now. We slept great last night. In fact, it was great when we dropped the kids off at my parents' house. We were about to leave. We just had lunch. And we're about to leave, and the kids are getting uh, these little freeze pops, you know, the little cylinder of sugar water. They put it in the freezer, and now it's a treat. And my, my dad says to Stephen, Stephen, would you like a treat? He goes, yes. So he picks one out, and I'm thinking, oh, that's a great treat. I turn around for just a second, then I turn back, and he has one in one hand and one in the other. I said, son, why do you have two? And he said, I love this. He looks at me. He goes, dad, because I am now under new management. (laughs) So it's a great week for everyone now. I want you to know, as silly as it sounds, if you are in Christ Jesus, you've been placed under new management. God the Father is your daddy. Jesus the Christ is your brother and your savior. And the Spirit, this Holy Spirit, I know for a lot of us, if you grew up like I did, you go, oh, don't talk about that, it's weird. And I know people who who love the Spirit, and they're just weird people. But we believe that Scripture teaches that you are under new management, that the very Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you, empowering you. And as we've been looking over these few weeks together, the Spirit of God is the one who comes, as Jesus says, as a comforter. He brings comfort to you. He's a counselor teaching you what is true, good, and right. He is the one who advocates for you. When you condemn yourself and say, I'm no good, he's the one who reminds you that you are good, not because of what you did, but because Christ has died and now lives for you. He's the one who empowers you to live a different life. And now, as we started last week, and then Monday night, I'll show you in a second what I mean by Monday, but on Monday night and then today, we're looking at the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit comforts and cares for you, but He also now empowers you, gifts you. This isn't in your notes, but write this down. You are empowered by the Spirit with spiritual gifts to bless the church, to be a blessing in the seats and out in the streets of our city. That's why you have spiritual gifts. And we're looking at those. Now, Monday night, I mentioned that we did something Monday. Monday night, I'm so excited. We had a crew get together here in the cafe, almost 80 people, discovering their spiritual gifts. It was a spiritual gift workshop. If you missed it, we'll do another one. Uh, Don't have a date lined up. We have other workshops and seminars coming that will be throughout the week. The next one that we're going to do is going to be in July. I'm really excited about it. I'll tell you about that more later. But but we got together. And one of the things I loved about this get-together was it was the widest age range of any sort of get-together like this that I've been a part of here. 
We had high school students all the way up to people who, who are retired and then some. And yet, here's what's so cool. No matter how young or old you may be in Christ, you always have a next step, church. Don't ever settle with the stage you're at, but continue to seek the next step. Christ wants to give you more than many of us have ever received because we do not think we have another step. And so we got together. Now, as we were discovering our spiritual gifts, the question came up as you're reading these passages of Scripture that talk about the gift of teaching, the gift of wisdom, or people who have gifts of giving or hospitality, gifts of encouragement. And we're reading all these gifts, and then you come to these really weird gifts. You know the gifts, the gifts that we all kind of pretend are in the Bible, right? We get to the ones like the gift of speaking in tongues. What, what is that? Or we get to the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing or miracles, and you're just going to go, ah, I don't think I like talking about that. Because it's weird, and it's not something we as members often in the churches of Christ that we really discuss. But here's what we came up with on Monday night, really the big question that some of you have asked me, and here's the big question that I want us to try and answer today. Are you ready? Here it is. Are all spiritual gifts still available today? Are all spiritual gifts still available today? All the ones that the Bible lists, are they all still available for today? This is a really big question. In fact, it's bigger. Hear me now. This question is bigger than simply, do I get a list of options? Are these in the options category? Did you know that the answer to this question actually has to do with how you and I read the Bible. This is a big question. And so for all those of you who've asked this question or wanted this question, we're going to try as best we can to address it. Now, at the outset, I recognize that there's a variety of experiences and feelings and there's a lot of expectations and there is a chance that we will not end up in the same place today. But I want you to hear something, two things. Number one, my goal, as best I can, is for us all to come to the same place But if we don't, I want you to know that we are still brothers and sisters even when we disagree on certain matters. Amen? Now, that wasn't real convincing. Let's try this again for the guy who's about to preach at you. You want this short or long? If you want it short, I need an amen. Amen? Oh, very good. Because here's the reality. There are core things that we all must agree on. And there are things in Scripture that are important and we'll debate and we'll discuss, but they do not determine if we are family or not. Are you with me? So today, because of the content, I'm going to be doing more teaching than preaching. A lot of Sundays, it's more of a sermon, uh, and I try to be mildly entertaining for about 30 minutes. Today, I'm just going to kind of take you deep, and I'm going to ask you to stay with me. So grab your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment. But Hebrews chapter 4 is the text we'll be in for sort of the basis of this conversation. Before we get there, though, let me give you the four views held by what gifts are or are not still available. There's a continuum of views. From this side to that side, you have those who believe that the gifts and gifting and interaction of the Spirit really has never existed, all the way to those who say not only does the Spirit work today, but He has to work in certain ways. So let me just walk you through these four views so you understand what the options are in our conversation. On the never end of the spectrum, you have what is called a deist. Everyone say deist. Deists believe this, and I'm going to read the definition here. Deists believe God created the world, that's Genesis 1 and 2, 
And then God stepped out of human affairs, leaving natural law to govern creation. Deists, keyword, reject all supernatural involvement both today and usually in the Bible. Okay, that's deist. On the next step, you have cessationists. Everyone say cessationist. That's a hard one to say, isn't it? But I hope you get sort of what it means. This little word cease is in it, meaning the gifts were available but have ceased. Here's the definition. Cessationists affirm God's supernatural work in the Bible, but believe that supernatural spiritual gifts, gifts that we cannot explain in natural terms, such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, and so on, those gifts cease to be given after the deaths of the apostles in the first century. Cessationists believe God still interacts with us today, such as through answered prayer. So a cessationist will say God worked and gave all gifts in the first century, but when the apostles died, the Spirit of God ceased to give certain gifts to Christians after that. Okay, we following? The third one is continuist. Now, like a cessationist who ceases, a continuist, though, is going to say that the gifts continue. Here's the definition. Continuists affirm God's supernatural work in the Bible and cautiously affirm that all New Testament gifts continue to be available to Christians today, although at perhaps a less frequent rate than in the first century. So a continuous says gifts were given then and they have continued even if not as frequently. Okay? And then the fourth and final position is the one that says always. Now this is the Pentecostal and charismatic movements. Let me tell you these things. First off, uh, the Pentecostal movement is a movement that has its roots, its beginning point in the first of the 20th century. So 120 years ago, roughly, the official, what we think of as Pentecostal churches, began. There were spirit-filled churches before then, but the Pentecostal church has its roots in those days. The charismatic movement began in the Jesus movement of the 1960s. So these two movements agree in this way. Pentecostals and Charismatics believe that the believers receive spirit baptism, usually after water baptism. And they teach that all believers demonstrate their salvation and spiritual maturity by, key phrase, by speaking in tongues. In other words... Pentecostal charismatic group, and hey, we we have friends who are in this camp, we have friends who are in this camp, and in this camp, we have friends all across these camps, but here's what I want you to know. They would say that the gifts are not only available, but to prove that you are a fully saved follower of Christ, you will speak in tongues, okay? So these are the four main views. Now, uh, just we're going to walk through very, as briefly as I can... Why we lean where we do, and I'll share in a few minutes where I land on this continuum. Uh, You don't have to agree, but I at least want you to explore the why behind it. Now, the two on the ends are pretty easy to, to kind of deal with and move on. So, for instance, the deists who say that God started work, wound up the universe like a clock, set it on a shelf, and left, and now the universe is simply ticking down until the end... We would disagree with them wholeheartedly because to believe this means you have to disagree with almost all of the Scripture. Anything that has to do with God supernaturally acting in the world, you can't believe that and be a deist. So, for instance, did God supernaturally act in the world by raising Jesus from the dead? Oh, yeah. 
So we knock that one down and say, we, we cannot. This does not line up with the scriptures on any level. Now, on the other end, the Pentecostal Charismatics, by the way, I have some dear friends. I'm going to spend eternity with them. They're in this camp. I, I love them. They are brilliant. I just disagree with them on this point. For them to say that all truly saved people must or will eventually speak in tongues is also to go against the clear teaching of Scripture, such as 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul himself says that some of you are going to get different gifts, but we don't all get the exact same gifts. Do you remember he talks about how we are a body? You have an eye, you have a foot, you have a hand, you have all these different parts, and we're not all the same part. Paul is making a point that we are all given different gifts. So these two, I think we can move past. But the real question is, what about these two middle ones, cessationist or continuist? What, what do we do with this? So, how are we going to answer it? Well, let me give you one key. If you want to write this down, this is so important. This is true for anything you ever study. Are you ready? Scripture interprets Scripture. If you read the Bible and you come to a passage that is difficult or stumps you, look to the Bible, other passages to help interpret or explain the passage that is difficult. We always let the Bible interpret the Bible. Are we all together on this before we move on? Give me an up or down if you're with me, okay? Because this is fundamental to everything. This is why we as a church have a high view of Scripture. We allow it to speak to us and we adjust our thinking based on Scripture. We don't allow our pre-existing thinking to determine what we believe from Scripture. Does that make sense? So let's look at this together. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, I know, I know, I know. Some of my spirit friends here, you're going, wait a minute. Why aren't you taking us to the spirit lists? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Come on, Josh, where you got to go. No, 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 listen. Because if Scripture interprets Scripture, then we can go to almost any passage and get clarity. Are, are, are we together? So, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I want you to see this one verse, very important, and then we'll kind of go from here. For, say these words with me. The word of God, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So we have to start with addressing the question, what does the phrase word of God refer to? What, what, what is it? Now, there's basically two answers that are given. Some people will say, well, the word of God is the physical written Word of God. It's the Bible. It's the pages, the pen and ink. Others will say, well, no, no, no. The Word of God is Jesus. And and you guys want to know what the the, the answer is? Is it this one or that one? And the answer is both. (laughs) Well, thanks, Josh. That's not helpful at all. But, but let's just go back to Scripture. John chapter 1, verse 1. Bible scholars, you know this passage. In the beginning, if you know it, say this with me. In the beginning was the Word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word that the author John is referring to, church? Jesus Christ. He is making a statement that at the beginning of time, Jesus was there because Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word of God. So the Word of God is Jesus, but it is also the written, authoritative, closed canon of Scripture. This is what Second Peter 1 is talking about. When, the, when Peter says, listen, all of the prophets who spoke did not speak words they wanted or thought up. Rather, the Spirit of God spoke to them and through them. So what am I saying? When it says the Word of God 
It is speaking of the written word and Jesus. In other words, you cannot have one without the other. To have authority of Jesus, you must rely on Scripture. And if you believe the Scripture, it will lead you to the authority of Jesus. Are we tracking together? So he says this, and this is why he follows by saying, if it is the written word infused because Jesus is God, he is the word, then this is why it is alive and it is active, why it penetrates, why it looks at our hearts and judges us. In fact, notice the phrase, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The scriptures judge us, this is very important, we do not judge the scriptures. In other words, if I come to the text with an existing view on something, or experience, or uh, prejudice against something, but the scripture teaches otherwise, it is my job to change how I think, feel, behave, and believe. It is not the job of scripture to change for me. Hey, quick question. How's our culture doing today? Does our culture come to scripture and say, you teach me what is right, true, and good, and I will change? Oh, no, no, no. We have a culture that says, I am ultimate arbiter of truth, and my experience, my feelings dictates what is true. So the Bible is irrelevant to our culture because they come saying they know what is right, and the Bible must agree, or they don't agree with the Bible. But for those who follow Jesus, we must always submit to the scriptures as final, as final, arbiter on all things. So what does this mean for us? By the way, these examples, uh, the scripture, the teaching, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, notice the famous verse that says, because of this, all scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, why? For every good work. In other Words from Genesis to Revelation, it is all authoritative for us. In fact, this is what Scripture says of itself. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, in this moment of brilliance, takes people back through the Old Testament story, and he will speak of the Ten Commandments, the gift of God's word to Moses and his people, as being living words. And then in the New Testament, we are told, in 1 Peter chapter 1, that the New Testament is living and active. It's living words. And I love this passage from Isaiah 55, 11. I love this one. Put this one on the screen. My word. What word? The scripture. This Jesus-infused truth. My word, God says through the prophet Isaiah, my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What's that saying? That when God sends his word out, his word does what his word can only do. Want to know why this is an incredible peace-giving passage for a preacher? This is telling me it is not my job to change anyone's heart or save anyone's soul. Only the spirit of God through the word of God has that power. This means I don't have to entertain you on Sunday, although I will try my best to not bore you too badly. It's not my job to, to keep you inspired and motivated. In fact, I have no ability to do it. And as long as I think I do, it will crush me. And as long as you rely on me to be the one to feed you or to be the one who gives you all that you need from up here, you will have an unhealthy relationship with God. It is the Spirit of God through the Word of God that feeds and fixes what's wrong in our lives. Are we all together on this one? 
Otherwise, we've got to start all over, and that would just take... Are we all together on this? All right, so here's where we go from here. If the Scriptures are the words of God, and we are to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, and we are to change our perspective according to what the Scripture says, then the quick question is, well, which one of these does the Scripture support, and which one does the Scripture not support the most? So, so let, me just, let me just... Cards on the table. Let me tell you where I land, and I'll show you why. Where I land, because of Scripture... And this is not where I am emotionally, let me be clear, but where I am here, and I'm trying to get it to my emotion, is I am a continuist. I believe that the Scripture teaches that the entirety of gifts in the first century, although maybe offered at different frequency, are still given today. You say, Josh, how can you say that? Well, because the Word of God calls me to that position. Let me show you. It is the living Word of God, church. My Bible that bids me and bids you to want these gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And it's funny to me, Paul then says, especially which one? That's one of the ones that we often say is gone. It is the Scripture that calls us to this. It is my Bible that tells me the gifts of tongues builds me up and strengthens the inner man. This is 1 Corinthians 14.4. And then in verse 5, he goes on to say, I, this is Paul. By the way, was Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, church? Yeah. We got to agree on this one. Was Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, church? Yeah. Absolutely. I would like, he says, every one of you to speak in tongues. But I'd rather... Have you prophesied? So he understands and desires this. And so it is a gift from God to the believers. It is my Bible that tells me that God promises in the last days to pour out his spirit, giving visions, dreams, and impressions to his children. This is Acts chapter 2. Notice the phrase, in the last days. You say, what are those last days? The last days are from the day of Jesus' ascension to the day of Jesus' return. We are living in these days. And by the way, Acts chapter 2 for my Bible majors in the room here. We all know part of Acts 2, right? Because Acts 2.38 is in this chapter, isn't it? And how does that one go? Repent and be what? See, you know part of the Bible, don't you? Let's just go back a few other verses. Because Peter says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men, and this is incredible, and on women. This is incredible because in the first century, women were not seen as equal to men. And yet the promise of God is that he will give his spirit on all who humbly come to him. By the way, I don't know where you are this morning. You may be in a place where you do not feel equal to anyone because of what you have been doing. You recognize the sin in your life, you see the rebellion in your heart, and you feel like a second class or third class or a no class person. I need you to hear me this morning. The gift of God is available not just to those who seem to have it all together. The gift of God is for all those who don't and can't have it together apart from God. The gift is available to you, friend. And so he says, God's word says he will give this even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. It is my Bible, the living word of God that then cautions me not to quench the spirit or treat prophecies with contempt, but to test them. What is quenching the spirit? 
It's saying, no. It's saying, not now. It's saying, you can't do that, God. I don't want to do that, church. It is the living word of God that says, don't quench the spirit, but listen, don't treat prophecies with contempt. What does that mean? It means, don't poo-poo prophecies. Don't belittle them. Don't say, oh, that can't happen. That's not He says, don't treat them with contempt, but test them. Is what's being done line up with the word of God? Because the only authority the believer has for clear teaching is the living word of God. This is why at Clear Creek, the word of God is held in supreme love and honor, church. So... Because of these and many more passages, if I had time, I would show you this is why the only place that I can land is as a continuous. Because the word of God tells me these gifts are available. And it nowhere says that they have ceased to be given. Now, I know some of you, I know some of you are going, wait, 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 Josh. Hold on. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 through 12? I mean, that's what you were thinking, right? You were wondering about that passage some of you maybe, okay. And you say, what in those verses, doesn't it say that there's coming a day where prophecy will cease, tongues will cease, wisdom will not be necessary? Because there's coming a day that the perfect will come, the completion will come. Josh, isn't that talking about the Word of God? When the Word of God comes and is closed, it's canon, we've got it. Isn't that when the gifts are no longer needed, at least certain ones? And the answer is no, because the very next verse, Paul goes on to say, for then, when the perfect comes, I will see clearly. I will see God face to face, he says. He says, we will know fully, not incompletely. Quick question, anyone in here this morning, has anyone in here this morning seen Jesus literally face to face yet. Because like, if you have, I want to hear about it, that would be amazing. But Paul's saying, until that day comes, the gifts are here. He goes on, it's, it, you know, we're seeing as though dimly through a glass. We don't know all things. Quick question, anyone here still have a few questions about life or God? Anyone at all still needing to learn just a little bit more? I know I am. Until that day comes. These gifts are available. See, once Jesus comes, when the perfect appears, I won't need and you won't need gifts like these because we will have the gift giver himself in the flesh. Does this make sense? So then smart people like you will say, okay, so Josh, why is that we don't seem to see so many of the gifts anymore? I'm going to give you two answers here and then I want to give you sort of what we do with all this and call it a morning. Here's the two answers. First one, is there does seem to be historic evidence that by the third century, you history geeks will love this, by the third century, many of the gifts were given still, but in much less quantity than in the first few decades of the church's life. And some people say, well, why is that? What, you know, why did the Spirit? Now, let me be clear. Less is not the same thing as none. In fact, if you talk to missionaries around the world today, some of our close friends They are seeing the full gifting of the Spirit right now in their local churches. I was talking to one missionary friend. This has been two years ago now. And we were talking about this very thing. He said, Josh, I don't know how to explain it, but but there was a guy on the street. He, He was blind for years. Don't know how long, but for years he had these massive white cataracts. He couldn't see anything. And so someone from the church came out, prayed over him, laid hands on him. 
And the people who gathered, they could see the cataracts disappearing. You say, Josh, how do you answer that? The Spirit of God moves still today. The gifts of God are still available. So why is it, why is it then that maybe it's less gifts today, uh, some of these, than in previous years? Well, there's a couple possibilities. Number one, God gives gifts to his kids according to the needs of the kids, doesn't he? How many of you have children? Let's just see some hands here this morning. Hey, guess how many kids we have at home this morning? <laughs> you have kids. You love your kids. I'm one of four kids. I shared this Monday night. I'm one of four kids, three sisters, and then just me. That's why I am the way I am. And so at Christmas, my mom and dad, they loved all four of us. And because we were all different, they would give us different gifts. Because I'm not my little sister, I did not get Polly Pockets. I did not get a trapper keeper with pencils in it because that's just not my jam. You know what my parents gave me? They gave me teenage mutant ninja turtles because they love Jesus. Why? They understood the difference between their kids. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, God knows you and will give the right gifts to the right people, the right churches at the right times for their needs. This is what a good father does. So God in his divine plan, by the way, this is what Jesus says, not Josh, John 3, look it up where he says, the Spirit of God moves like the wind, coming from places we don't know and going wherever he wants to go. In other words, we don't control the Spirit. The Spirit determines how he will gift. And then the second reason, and this one's a little controversial, but look it up. I believe it is in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus goes to his hometown and he tries to do miracles, but we're told that he could not do many miracles there. Why? Because the people lacked faith. Now, Am I telling you that your faith is the reason that you're not receiving? Or, no. But I am saying that God partners with open people to do great things. And I never want to tell God what he cannot do. I would rather say, God, I know you can. Will you? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Let me give you four things real quick. This is the word dare. I'm going to dare you this morning just to something. And maybe this is just blowing your mind. You're like, I can't believe this or buy this. Or maybe you have some questions about this. I'm going to invite you to study this. Go back to the living word of God and allow it to determine what you believe. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Josh Diggs, the reason this is hard for me is because some of these things I have not witnessed enough personally to feel comfortable with it. Or I have witnessed things that are a little shady, and so I assume all of it is shady. Listen to me. One bad example does not mean you should throw out all of it. Any more than one bad apple in a group of apples mean that you never eat another apple. You throw out the bad, but you receive the good. And so I want to give you four things real quick. Number one, as we process this together, what do we do with all this? Number one, let's do what Scripture teaches. Let's desire the spiritual gifts. Is what Paul says, desire, eagerly, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Number two, A, I'm going to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to act in, among, and through all of us for Jesus' glory. That's why he gives you and I gifts. It's so that Jesus' glory and fame will be seen in the seats and on the streets. That's why we are given gifts. So ask him for the gifts, desire them, and then ask that the gift would be used to bless others and bring them to Jesus. The R is the word repentance. We are to desire, ask, and practice ongoing radical repentance. Repentance is simply changing a way of thinking or behaving. 
It doesn't even have to be sinful. It simply is less than God's best. Repentance is saying, I don't want to live less than God's best. I want to change my thinking to what Scripture says. I want to repent from a way of living or being. And then the E is simply this. Expect God to act. Quick question. Family, don't raise your hand, but just a question. When you come together with other friends in the faith, are you more surprised when God does act or are you more surprised when God does not act? When you show up, are you just kind of shocked if he should move or are you more shocked if he doesn't move? My prayer is that we as a family would be so welcoming to God, not, not emotional, not, not allowing our emotions to run wild, but because of the truth of Scripture, we would welcome God and because of his presence, we would expect God to be changing lives. Does that mean people are speaking in tongues? I have no idea what that means. But I do know that it would mean that we look more and more like Jesus, personally and corporately. Amen? So, where do we go from here? This week, I'm going to invite you to begin daring to seek the presence of God more. Desire the gifts. Ask Him for them. Repent of anything that is keeping you from following Jesus well. And expect Him to move. Move.